Let me just add to what Joe so wonderfully said and shared in that video, my thanks for your continued, your faithful generosity over these last three years. And all that these last three years have contained, it is a blessing to be able to stand here today and see the progress that we've been able to make. Amen? And really, we're very, very grateful. Grateful to God, grateful to how God uses all of you. Uh, you wouldn't know it to look at us, but our church is over 150 years old, over 155 years old. And uh, we moved here 13 years ago and have just kept making steps uh, in our development of our campus so that we keep making room for more people, that we're per better prepared, as Joe said there, for each generation of our church coming ahead. And so even the steps like what we're taking here in these last three years are all part of an overall journey. And so thanks for sticking with us on that journey. It's been a real privilege. And several of you have been asking, what's next? What are we going to do next? What's, what's the next campaign? What, what's the next step we're going to take? And we'll be talking about that uh, in the months ahead for sure. But uh, for now, like Joe said, if you want to continue to give to Prepared, we will put those funds to very, very good use as we are so ready to bridge that creek and begin to take advantage of the, other, the rest of the acreage that the Lord has blessed us with so we can make some space for the community. Amen? So it's, it's a fun journey to be on, and I'm glad to be on it with all of you, for sure. So good morning, Outlook family. It is good to be together. I'm looking forward to jumping into God's Word. Whether you're with me here in the room or you're with me online, I'm just glad you're with me and that I'm with you and that we're together. Amen. If you are with us online, I just want to say, say hi to your host and uh, let us know you're with us. We'd love to be able to get to know you a little bit better. If you're ready for that to happen, say hi to us. We'd love to say hi back to you for sure. And we're glad that you are with us. Uh, we are in a series called Truly Blessed. We've got a couple more uh, sermons left in this series. We've been looking at what's called the Beatitudes, the opening statements of Jesus in his sermon on the Mount. He's been describing to us what a blessed life truly looks like. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because we are a people who take seriously the words of Jesus, and we care deeply about anything Jesus taught. And maybe that's new for you today, and if that's the case, I'm really glad you're with us. And just know that you're with a group of people who have, are people who've simply discovered how wise and good and loving Jesus is. That's who we are. We're not people who've got it all together. We're not people who've got it all figured out. Amen? That's right. But we are people who know and have discovered that Jesus has got it all figured out, and that Jesus keeps us together. And so his words are serious for us. They're valuable. They're precious to us. And we've been moving through these series of blessings that he's been, uh, that he shared at the beginning of that sermon. So much of what we've been learning about so far is leading us up to today and next Sunday's uh, kind of crescendo of these beatitudes. We've learned about being meek and merciful, about hungering for what's right last week, about being clean-hearted and clear-headed, and all this leads us to what we're talking about today and next week. And so here to read for us the seventh beatitude from various biblical translations is Addison Anderson, a freshman at Hamilton Southeastern High School. Give it up for Addison. Thank you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Happy are people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. God blesses those people who make peace. They will be called his children. Happy are those who work for peace. God will call them his children. You are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. 
God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Blessings on the peacemakers, you'll be called God's children. Awesome, thank you, Addison. Thank you very much. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. To understand what a peacemaker is, we need to first understand what peace is, as it's meant in the Scriptures. Now, the word peace appears in every single book of our New Testament. Peace is something we all need, amen? It's something the world longs for. It's something only God can ultimately give. This word peace in the Scriptures, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, has, is a word of deep meaning. And, and really, it's, it, it, it could be described this way. To be a peacemaker is to be someone who's looking to create peace within peace between, and peace among. That all of that is wrapped up in this word peace. That when you wish for peace, when you work for peace, when you want to see peace, you want, this is what the Bible is referring to. Peace in all kinds of ways. And so we're going to use this as our outline as we unpack that this morning. Peace within, peace between, and peace among. When war comes to an end, we say peace has returned. But this would have made no sense to those who were first hearing Jesus. They knew that the word peace for them meant so much more, and Jesus means so much more by it than just that. Peace in the Scriptures means more than the absence of strife. It means social and political, I mean social and uh, personal well-being. It is a wide and deep word. And so if that's the case, then we can't confuse peacemakers with peacekeepers, right? We're not talking about people whose only aim, and maybe you can relate, I think we've all been there, people whose only aim is to keep things calm and avoid conflict, right? People who have a broom in one hand and are always looking for a rug under which to sweep whatever might be going on, right? People who will do anything to keep the peace. That's not true peace that's not peacemaking, that's merely peacekeeping. And so let's explore now what it means, peace within, peace between, and peace among. Let's begin with peace within. In fact, when you see the word peace many times in the Scriptures, you'll also find the word reconciliation. The idea that we need to be reconciled to God, that every single one of us has lived a life not at peace with God, but in a very real way at war with God, in conflict with God, doing things our own way. And so the very first thing that we all need as human souls is peace with the one who made us, who knows us, who loves us, who decided we should exist. There can be no real peace of any kind without peace with God. This is always our first work, carving out a place in our own hearts in which we enjoy peace with God. That comes initially through our yes to Jesus, our first yes to Jesus, but it keeps coming into our lives by our continual everyday yes to Jesus. Amen? So peacemakers are people who recognize first that it's God's love that, that makes peace possible, that I need to be at peace with God as best as I can experience that on any given day, right? Peacemakers keep a steady eye always on the love of God as they then work to apply that love wherever they go, making peace. 
Jesus said this to his disciples uh, just before he went to the cross. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives, he assured them. Jesus has given us many things and gives his disciples many things, no doubt. But at this moment, Jesus knew that peace, and not just any peace, his peace was what his followers will need. It's what he chose to give specifically and purposefully. Jesus knew it's going to get rough out there and you're going to need this. It's my peace, peace within. Now, peace within and even, even helping others find that peace within, that's essential. We talk a lot about that here at Outlook. Every single one of us needs to one day find peace with God through Jesus Christ. If that's new to you, like I said, we'd love to talk to you more about that. There is nothing like finding in the settled state of your soul a peace with the God who knows and loves you. And that only comes through faith in Jesus. But peace within and what that contains is the beginning, but far from the complete idea that Jesus is driving at when he calls us to be peacemakers. There is more to it. And that leads us to our second aspect of peace, and that is peace between. When Jesus is calling, God is the peacemaker of us between us and him. But now Jesus is calling us to be peacemakers. So it begins with that peace within, but now we need to begin to think about what it means to see peace between us and others. There's no being a peacemaker in this regard that doesn't mean um, walking into and not avoiding conflict. That when we have conflict in our lives, anyone ever had any conflict in your life? Right. That we are not conflict avoiders, but we can be conflict deflators, right? Peacemakers step into and don't walk away from conflict. Peacemakers, as Jesus is calling us to be here, are embracers of people and embracers of the awkward or the challenging. To be a peacemaker is not to whistle past difficult subjects or to avoid resolving conflicts, but a peacemaker begins to realize there's something there that demands my effort and is worth the effort. Throughout the scriptures, we see this uh, as an exhortation to us as Christians. Check out Romans 14, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 12. These are just three examples. Let us therefore, Paul writes to the Romans, make every effort. Someone say, make every effort. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. To the Ephesians, he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is, he's encouraging Christians, this is how you live together. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. In other words, as people who have experienced peace within, that's the start, not, that's, not, that's where we start, not where we stay. And that, that peace within then makes you a, a maker of peace around you. That The relationships you have, you're someone who brings people together, not keeps people apart. That's what God's love does in us and then through us. Make every effort we read again and again and again. That it's worth the effort. That to be a peacemaker, this kind of peace, is forged in conflict. It doesn't avoid conflict. In fact, this is the kind of peace that only can happen as you move through and out the other side of conflict. This is the kind of peace that's built with care 
Our hearts are in it. You care about someone else. And so it's worth the effort to find peace with them. It's built in candor. You tell the truth in love, as Paul at one point said to the Ephesians. This is how peacemaking happens. It's reinforced through compassion that we have for other people. All these things are part of what it takes to make peace. And we, as Jesus followers, as we live together in the family of God, are called to embody and exemplify exactly that kind of peace and peacemaking. Now, why would Jesus include this? Why would this be one of the Beatitudes? Man, this is uncomfortable. This is pushing us out of our comfort zone. The others, they sound pretty internal, right? Be meek, be merciful. Okay, fine. That sounds very loving. But man, this, this is stretching. Why would Jesus include this? I can't help but think it's at least because the world is hurting. The world is hurting and in lack and, and lacks peace. Is that true? Is there a lot of peace in our world today? There's a lot of peace between people today? Not in the world that I see, right? It was true in Jesus' day, and it's true in our day. The world is hurting. It always has been. Peacemakers are needed. Jesus knows this, and he knows that people who have been paying attention to what it means to be poor in spirit and to hunger and thirst for righteousness and to be merciful and on and on are also going to be the kind of people he can send into the world to make it a more peaceful and whole place. Angry prejudice, the fear of the other, is the stock and trade of politics, now and really forever. It's part of our collective psyche because of our own fallen human nature. It always has been. People hate and hurt. People abuse and take advantage. Bitterness and injustice can become pervasive. They always have been. So someone needs to be not just a peace hoper or even a peace lover, right? But peacemakers, and certainly not peace fakers. More than a few of those in our world today as well. Jesus is saying, uh-uh, the whole world needs it. Some people maybe give it lip service, but guess what? It's going to be my people that I send out into the world who can truly make real, genuine peace because they are the ones at peace with me. So in this case, when we talk about peace between, what are we talking about? Very simple. It is the task of bringing people together who are at odds with each other. That's a, that's a kind of peacemaking that we are called to, to and we, we model that first in the church. That the church should be a place in which if there's any distance or conflict between a brother and sister in Christ, we know, and man, it's all over the place in the scriptures, we know our very first job is to fix that. To learn love, to practice forgiveness and grace. And practice is a great word, to get better and better at it. Because we're not always so good at it, right? Of course we don't. Of course we're not. But we practice it. What is a conflict? What is something between a brother and sister? An opportunity to learn how to love, right? And forgive. That's what the body of Christ is meant to be. We get to do that in a local church. That's why being a part of a local church is so important. You have to have some one another's to do life with so that you can learn, I can learn how to love, how to listen, how to forgive, how to empathize, how to do life together. You don't do that by yourself. You only do that with others. And that's what we get to do as peacemakers. Bring people together, not keep them apart. 
Thomas Akempis was a spiritual thinker and writer from a few centuries ago. And at one point he famously wrote, all men desire peace, but very few desire those things that make for peace. In other words, it takes effort. We're beyond the, we're, we're beyond the realm of nice ideas at this point, friends, right? We're in the realm of real work. Love is a labor if we're doing it right, but it's a labor that's always worth it. Now, the opposites of this kind of peace are, like I said, separation, strife, alienation, prejudice, hatred, the things that keep us apart, and all the conflict that can arise from those things. That's why it takes work to make peace when those things show their faces. A little bit later in this same chapter, in this same sermon, Jesus illuminates a little bit about what he may mean by being a peacemaker, because he talks about how we should be concerned for our enemies, and that that concern actually makes us children of his Father. Same language he uses in this beatitude. It says in verse 43, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, the law didn't say that last part, but by the time Jesus had, uh, was with these folks, that's what, they, that's what they'd come to hear, right? You've heard the law that the law says. But I say, love your enemies, Jesus said. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as, acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Same language as the beatitude, that this is what this kind of love looks like. God is good at loving those who don't love him back, right? In fact, that was us at one point, right? We're learning how to love him back now. That's what you and I get to do. But at one point, we didn't love him at all. He still loved us. We were enemies of God, but he was still our friend. This is the kind of love that we're being called to show. This is the kind of love that makes for peace. This is why we as Christians find division so intolerable between us, because a church is a place that brings people and keeps bringing people together. We're a church that believes down to our toes that there's no, there's no hierarchy in a local church. There's no power struggle or structure, no powering up over each other, that we're all on level ground at the foot of the cross, amen? That we're all a part of a functioning body together. We need each other. That's the way it's supposed to work. And that when there's distance between us, that distance is meant to be bridged and brought together again and again and again. We see it throughout the scriptures. Peace within, and peace between. It'd be easy to stop right there. That all sounds still pretty lovey-dovey, right? And, and pretty nice, pretty nice, right? Like, yeah, I can, I, I can wrap my head around that. But when Jesus used this term, there is no doubt that there was a significant aspect of peacemaking that he meant and that was included, and his listeners would have understood it. And it's good for us to understand it too. And that is peace among. Think of it as a concentric circle. Now we've gone from within to between, and now even more widely, among. Here we run squarely into the reality that Jesus and his cross are about more than just my personal salvation. It is certainly about that, but it is about more than that. And this verse in Ephesians makes that super clear. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Now what's Paul talking about? He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the two main people groups that would have been most hostile to each other and that a line of demarcation that would have been clear to anyone in his day would have been Jew and Gentile. And he is offering up in the whole New Testament story, the whole New Testament church 
story is about this radical revolutionary idea that Jews and Gentiles can both become equally the people of God. And that's exactly what he's talking about. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. How and when? When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. We're talking about walls that kept people apart being torn down through the love, the grace, the sacrifice of Jesus on his cross. This reminds us God is the first and ultimate peacemaker through what he has done on the cross. And it is from that act of peacemaking that all our peacemaking becomes formed and informed. The passage goes on. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. Someone say new people. One new people from the two groups. And the cross continues to do that. Anytime in our society, in any culture across the centuries, when there are two or more people categories, ways of dividing and labeling and keeping people apart, the cross inserts itself to bring people together. That as you and I keep our eyes on the cross and on the one hanging there, we are united under that grace and love. And it brings people together that the world would rather keep apart. Amen? That is what peacemaking is all about. Inserting that cross into every situation and saying to anyone around, whether it's my peace within, we all have conflict within ourselves and our hearts and minds at times, right? Whether it's peace between me and one other person, or whether it's peace in our society, peace in our systems, peace in our way of looking at the world and doing life together as, as a people. You insert that cross in there. And then you say, look upon this and look upon the one hanging there. And how can we stay apart when he has died to bring us together? That's the church, one new people, so united by Christ and his cross. The passage concludes, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. Clearly, this is part of God's intention. He achieved so much through the cross. In fact, for a couple weeks before Easter, when this series is wrapping up, we're going to spend a couple weeks just looking at the cross as we prepare our hearts for Easter. He accomplished so much through the cross, and this is one aspect of it. He brings people together. That's why we find division and hatred and injustice, again, so intolerable. It's what sent our Lord to the cross. It's what he died to extinguish. So we take it seriously. Peacemakers don't just put out fires. Peacemakers ask how they started and how they can be prevented. For instance, as criminal as rioting and looting can be, what long addressed, unaddressed injustices have left people to think, rightly or wrongly, they have no constructive choice? That's a valuable question. As terrible as human trafficking is, How is pornography breeding it and feeding it? And deeper still, what trauma and dysfunction is sending massive numbers of people to consume such material, even addictively so? A question, again, where peacemakers would ask that kind of question, going deeper. Again, not peace-hoping, not even peace-loving, peace-making. We lament the suicide rate in our society, especially among young people. What's behind that, we should ask? 
And what kind of ways are we reinforcing unhealthy self-images that no one can, can live up to, that leads people to think that life's not worth living? We, our hearts break at the violence that takes place in our world, but what kind of systems of hatred and greed do we let go unchecked that then breeds that violence? The cycle of self-defense that in the end makes us all armed and triggered to assert our rights. How are we contributing to what is overall not a healthy situation? Peacemakers ask this question. If the whole world made the choices that I make, what kind of world would it be? If every human on the planet made the choices that I make, would our world be better for it? Now, you can't answer that question for someone else, and I can't answer it for you, and I wouldn't even want to try. But it's a good question for all of us to ask. A peacemaker is trying to bring that shalom, that Hebrew word for peace, trying to bring that wholeness and health to every aspect of where God sends us, where we live and who we interact with. Another example is Jesus and his hearers lived in a world of categories, defining who's in and who's out. Peacemakers do what Jesus did. They keep inviting people in, right? Into love, into peace, into him. Those people who are labeled as sinners and drunks and prostitutes and tax collectors, there are all kinds of labels that were used. They were the outsiders and the rejects. He knew them by name, not labels. He knew them by name. Here is where our rabbi could be found, welcoming and blessing children when others would say that we, they shouldn't be a bother. Touching the untouchables and the unclean. Engaging with a Roman soldier who was certainly on the side of the oppressor. Defying racial and ethnic hatred by conversing with a Samaritan. Defying patriarchy by treating women with respect. Peacemaking includes all of this, and Jesus is our model. This is part of what it means to be the church. Once again, a couple of passages that illustrate this. Colossians chapter 3. In this new life, one's nationality, race, or education, or social position are unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters. And he is equally available to all. Amen? Galatians chapter 3, we are no longer Jews or Greeks or slaves or free men or even merely men or women. We are all the same. We are Christians. We are one in Christ Jesus. Again, this means that the labels that the world uses to divide don't mean anything compared to the cross that unites us. Now, this doesn't mean denying the things that people have gone through, whether it be by prejudice or hatred or any number of other things, that, that the violence, both internal and physical, that can happen to a human soul, thanks to the hate and division that our world produces. It doesn't mean ignoring those things or recognizing that there aren't people who go through those things, but it is saying that there's more to it, that it's not the end of the story, that there's so much hope as we turn to the one who knows and loves us. Amen? We live in this reality. We embrace it completely. Peacemakers are boundary breakers. They're bridge builders. Peacemakers ignore such categories and lines of demarcation. We are unifiers, not dividers. Which means peacemakers move beyond our natural instincts of safety and identity that keep us only with people like us when we escape that kind of us versus them mentality that can so easily mark our world today. Peacemakers do the hard and risky work of forging real reconciliation, shifting paradigms, speaking actual truth, even when it's likely they will be maligned or misunderstood. 
In fact, sometimes peacemakers look like troublemakers, right? Because they, they know that it's only by upsetting the status quo that real change and thus real peace can be achieved. N.T. Wright writes about this in his book, Simply Jesus. He says, the work of the kingdom is summed up pretty well in those Beatitudes. When God wants to change the world, He doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek, the mourners, those who are hungry and thirsty for God's justice, the peacemakers, and so on. He goes on, the Beatitudes are much more than, quote, a new rule of life, as though one could practice them in private, away from the world. We're seeing that now by the time we get to this Beatitude, for sure. Jesus rules the world, Wright says, through those who launch new initiatives that radically challenge the accepted ways of doing things. In other words, if peacemaking were easy or came automatically, we'd all be enjoying it. But look around, right? Peace is rare. Peace is hard to find. Peace needs made. It needs forged, and we're the ones that get to do it. Wright goes on to note that it, Christians have been doing this for centuries, this kind of peace among peacemaking, making sure people have houses fit to live in, work conditions that honor and don't exploit, injustices that are rectified, good laws made and kept, that oppression is fought, that the aged and affirmed are infirmed or not uh, neglected or forgotten or taken advantage of, that people are told they matter when they feel much of society or its systems say they don't, that all of this is included in what it means to make peace between fellow human beings. It's active, not passive, not merely abstaining from war and conflict, but working, laboring for peace. Making the world a better place is not the stuff of greeting cards or soda commercials. It really is truly the calling of peacemakers, God's children. And yes, if we can accept it, you and me. We can do this. We can be part of that effort. One way you could paraphrase what Jesus is saying here would be like this. Happy is the one whose life's work is the production of right relationships and the promotion of systems and ways that make right relationships thrive. That's peacemaking in the fullest sense of the word. We experience the peace of God. We bring that peace to every situation we're in, and we get the chance to then share and apply it wherever we go. We are agents of peace deployed throughout the world, children resembling our father, the original peacemaker, in doing his work. Tamara says at times, she'll say I see, that she sees my dad in me, in my walk or my talk or something I've done. She'll say, I, that's your dad right there. I see your father in you. Friends, we all have seen that in each other. We know how that works. When we're doing the work of peacemaking in our world, then our world will see our father in us. Say, that's, that's your heavenly father in you. And as Jesus says, we will be called children of God. Oh, that's, those are God's children right there. They're making peace in a world that so desperately needs it. Knowing I'm a child of God means realizing that anyone can be and that God wants everyone to be. And what kind of division can exist for long with that kind of perspective? The Apostle James puts it very succinctly, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
Let's take this to the communion table. I'd like to just move seamlessly right into that here. If you grabbed your bread and your cup on your way in, I urge you to go ahead and take that for a second. And let's just let's think about peacemaking and what we've learned today in reference to what we do each week when we take the bread and the cup. Jesus' broken body, we were just told, makes possible the fact that our brokenness is healed. He was broken so that we don't have to be anymore. That the things that break us apart or keep us apart are actually unified by his brokenness. What did we read earlier? In his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. That that's our human condition, to be apart, to not trust each other, to not enjoy peace. But his body was broken to bring us peace. Peace within, peace between, and that we could be agents of peace among. Let's take the bread and eat it together. And in the cup, we are reminded that we are all at the table on level ground. We all come equally in need, right? We all come equally thirsty. No matter what we do for a living or how much money we make or what our, lives, our life stories contain so far, or the things we've done or left undone or you name it, we all in this moment are equally in need of grace. We come thirsty and ready to receive. And so that's who we are in this moment. Receivers of grace. Let's take and remember him in the cup. Let's pray together. Lord, it is our prayer this morning that we would come to experience your peace, peace within. Lord, we bring ourselves to you and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit of peace, a peace that passes understanding, we're promised, a peace that guides us in ways that uh, we could never guide ourselves. God, we ask that, that peace within would guide us to peace between us that as we have wrinkles in our relationships or sometimes outright conflict, that you would teach us how to love well and how to move through those, not avoid them, but move through them and learn from them. And God, we ask for peace among us. We ask for peace in our world. We ask for peace in Ukraine. We ask for peace in McCordsville. And we ask peace for every place in between. God, you see every moment of every day how we harm and hurt each other, how we hate each other. Lord, help, help us as your children, imperfect as we are, to bring bringers of your peace, something the world so desperately needs. Teach us how to do that, Lord. Thank you for your death on the cross and what it means for us and how it brings us together. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.